Welcome to episode 52 of Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills, and uh, my name is Rob Danish. I'm a professor of communication at the University of Waterloo in Canada. And in the last couple of episodes, we've been talking some about persuasion. And whenever I teach my course on persuasion, we spend a good bit of the semester talking about the emotions and how important emotions are. But it doesn't mean, and in the last episode I said assertion really isn't the best method of persuasion, but that doesn't mean that we cannot be persuasive by appealing to reason. So today, in today's episode, I want to talk about uh, what an effective, reasonable appeal looks like and why it looks that way. And uh, in episode 53, I'll expand on that also to talk about uh, reasonable writing or rational writing and how you can construct a kind of full argument that is persuasive in a written piece of discourse. Um, But I want to start by talking a little bit about why uh, I end up spending so much time on emotion and why emotion is so central to persuasion. And it gets back to kind of a little piece of theoretical insight that I'm always trying to remind people of, my students of at least, and I always see others out in the world kind of forgetting is is the case. But... um, in some episode or in some earlier episode, I talked about the somatic marker hypothesis, and I talked about uh, emotional states in in people. And one of the central things we learned that from that, but it's also something that rhetoricians have known, or people that have practiced or studied rhetoric for the last twenty five hundred years have known since at least five hundred BC, is that emotions bias reasoning. So we can't just simply separate our emotions out from our, our reasoning. It doesn't work that way even though Plato very much wanted us to eliminate emotions from decision-making and from rational deliberation, you can't do it. And rhetoricians have known that pretty much forever since the advent of the study of of rhetoric. And so when I teach my students, I'm always teaching them to think through or care about or attend to emotions, the emotions of their audience and how those emotions might bias or influence reasoning. And one of the things I was saying in the last episode about assertion is that someone that's just making assertions is really in a kind of deep way failing to appreciate the emotional or physiological state of the audience. The reason that I think through the metaphor of pushing and pulling and stumbling backwards, et cetera, is because it tries to at least put into context or into view some of the emotional or physiological responses of an audience when we're trying to assert something kind of against them or or to them with the intent of persuading them. So it's really a bad idea to try to separate emotion from reason. It's not possible anyway, uh, and it's really unhelpful when thinking through persuasion. But that doesn't mean that I can't articulate a rational argument that will be persuasive to an audience. It just means that I can't do that without also thinking about their emotional predisposition uh, or the way in which my argument might affect that audience. So in today's episode, really the core of what I want to talk about is the difference between what I call um, the use of hyperbole to masquerade as reason and the use of care to actually employ reasonable uh, or persuasion through reason. Um, So hyperbole is a kind of trope of exaggeration. 
Um, we live in a world right now where hyperbole is everywhere. It's literally the central component of political discourse in the United States. Uh, Donald Trump uses hyperbole, I think, more than anything else in his rhetorical arsenal. Every, nearly every statement is a, an absurd hyperbole. Um, so everything to like, I'm the greatest president in the history of the country. I've accomplished more in the, for my first two years in office than anyone else has ever done that. There's a crisis, a humanitarian crisis at the southern border. There's an invasion of, of immigrants. Um, so the hyperbole is used over and over and over again to exaggerate the degree, the size, the scope um, of the problem or of uh, whatever kind of feature of reality um, a, a rhetor is trying to highlight. Against hyperbole, you could compare what I call care or careful thinking or careful reasoning. What care or careful reasoning does is the opposite of hyperbole. It tries to attend with the greatest degree of specificity, with the finest grain kind of analysis to the particularities of a situation. Uh, or the particularities of some issue or some exigence or some problem in the world. So instead of blowing something up and exaggerating it or inflating its importance, you try to reduce whatever the issue is to its most specific or particular features. Um, care or, or careful thinking is something we rarely, 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 if ever, see in political discourse right now. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not possible, but it does, just means it's not really prevalent or, or common right now. So the real question, the, the big question for me is, is hyperbole persuasive or is care more persuasive or careful reasoning more persuasive? Well, that's an interesting question and one we tackle in my course on, on persuasion. Uh, in order to tackle that question, we have to consider the ways in which hyperbolic appeals and careful appeals function and the effects they intend to have. So the purpose of hyperbole or the, the function of exaggeration or uh, undue inflation of an issue or um, an idea or a problem is not to have the audience be persuaded rationally, but it is to activate the emotional resonance or the emotional predisposition or physiological predisposition of the audience that the audience associates with that problem or that issue. So the reason that Donald Trump says there's an invasion on our southern border and he intentionally exaggerates the extent of the problem is not to rationally convince doubters or to make a persuasive rational argument. It is to amplify the emotional predisposition of specific audience members who may feel certain kinds of ways about certain kinds of people. So it's a technique of amplifying emotional reactions to specific exigencies. So whenever, if you're out in the world, and it does, this is not kind of locatable to, um, to Donald Trump, it's not just Donald Trump. Um, this is sort of everywhere. Um, I was in a meeting where, you know, someone said, about the kind of that we have a quote budget crisis um well we don't actually have a budget crisis it was an attempt at hyperbole and it was an attempt at hyperbole because it wanted the audience to feel 
or the people listening to feel a certain way, one of them feel anxious or upset or worried. And the, the hyperbolic appeal is oriented toward that outcome and, and wants or desires that particular outcome. So hyperbole is an emotional appeal, almost strictly. It's, it's, it's in a way in which you might kind of amplify the feelings or the physiological um, affective state of a particular audience. Careful thinking or careful reasoning is actually the opposite of that. The reason one uses care in the kind of crafting of their message is to move the conversation away from the kind of emotional reactivity associated with hyperbole and toward a place in which the reasoning part of our brain can take over the kind of, take over might not be the right word, but can assert its role in the communicative process of making meaning. And we want that, that's a really, really good thing. You especially want that if you have a persuasive argument, if you think you have a really, really good rational argument for something, and you think that that argument will be persuasive, one of the things that you have to do is shift the conversation or shift the kind of frame of deliberation or conversation away from the kind of emotional reactivity that's manufactured through the use of hyperbole and toward um, the more the, the more kind of reasonable, um, rational, argumentative grounds. Um, so what do I mean by care? I think everyone has a good sense of what I mean by hyperbole. It's this kind of unintentional exaggeration that you see Donald Trump do literally every day whenever he's anywhere. This is the greatest X or the worst Y or the worst deal in history, etc. Um, careful thinking in involves what I call uh, uh, qualifi qualifying, emphasizing, and elaborating on specifics inside a claim. And qualifying is perhaps the most important component of, of this process. Uh, good, um, so people skilled at rational persuasion qualify their main claims. And they do that by modifying, limiting, or characterizing those claims in detailed and specific ways. So I particularly loathe politicians that talk about all Canadians or the quote-unquote American people. All Canadians and the American people are highly abstract concepts, and they're terribly, terribly vague. We can say almost nothing about all Canadians. Anytime a student writes with that level of generality, I wince and I cross it out because they didn't qualify the argument. And if they didn't qualify the argument, that argument will suffer because the quality of the argument will be impoverished. There's nothing you can prove about all Canadians. There's lots you can prove about specific segments of the population. So to qualify means to limit in some way what's being described or recounted. It's a matter of restricting the scope of an argument. Uh, when we reduce our claims from more general to more specific, we open up the possibility for fuller forms of justification that have with them greater degrees of detail and ultimately more persuasive evidence. It's easier to persuade, to rationally persuade an audience of a qualified claim than it is of a broad claim. So even think of it like this, I have a dog, I'm a dog person, not a cat person. In class, I sometimes when we start this, I'm like, oh, dogs are better than cats as pets. And people have all sorts of objections. And already that's an unqualified claim. All dogs are better than cats as pets. It's nonsense. There are really bad dogs out there and really great cats. There are dogs that should be put down, that are terrible, that are ill-behaved, 
that are vicious and violent, those dogs would not make good pets. Uh, so I need to qualify the claim if it's going to be persuasive, uh, even if it means saying something like, well, dogs from uh, dogs, dogs that were born and, stay, uh, and uh, not harmed when they were young, uh, not subjected to the awful conditions of uh, violence and, um, uh, and, and kind of poverty associated with some dog kennels, they turn out to be good pets because they're loving and loyal to their owners. They're not always better than cats, but more often than not, a good loyal dog from a good home makes a better pet. Okay, so I'm, I've already qualified the claimant. I can say not every single dog is better, but more often than not, they're better as long as this other condition applies. So the process of qualifying, it's not just a matter of, um, of adding a couple of, of qualifying phrases. Um, it's also about making the whole subject matter more concrete. So, for example, I, if I, I would love to hear a politician come along and say, many Americans, particularly those that live in the Deep South and are religious and middle class, don't support X. Okay, so instead of just referring to all Americans, that claim includes a qualification that can lead to a more detailed and substantive conversation. So, um, it's qualifying is a way of, at the same time, developing the complexity of your reasoning with the simplicity and specificity of a kind of narrowed scope. And that ultimately is a key to more effective persuasion. Um, okay, so qualify your claims. That's one way of being more careful. Second way of being more careful is to emphasize specific features of a claim. When we do that, we give special attention or clarity and prominence to one part of an argument instead of the whole part. So if you want your audience to remember and know a detail about a claim that you're making. Um, you want to kind of emphasize, highlight, foreground, or point to that example or that feature or that central components. And if you start foregrounding or highlighting uh, or pointing to kind of degrees of specificity, then you are gonna do the same thing you did in qualifying an argument. Uh, you're going to uh, draw the audience's attention to a limited range of reasons and evidence that are more favorable, likely more favorable to the possibility of you persuading that audience. So let's say I want to say, uh, okay, more often than not, dogs are better than cats as pets, in particular because of their loyalty. Loyalty is one of the central components of the central characteristics of a dog and one of the central things we should look for in a good pet. So you can emphasize and develop details around loyalty or the loyalty of a dog. And you can build a more complex and sophisticated argument by learning how to emphasize that one characteristic of a dog or, fe or one, one feature of a dog over some other dogs. So uh, that kind of care will also ultimately be influential in the process of argumentation. Uh, the last thing I tell my students is if you want to build a more persuasive rational argument, you can also elaborate on details. So good, uh, good, good persuaders or good arguers don't just develop and present um, a, a good qualified claim. They also offer detailed support and justification for the claim that they're advancing. So 
uh, I also like to teach my students to work with four main verbs that help with elaboration. And those are demonstrate, illustrate, exemplify, and show. They're essentially synonyms, but if you construct a several sentences with those around those verbs, the form is the same. Um, but in each case, you're adding detail that's logically and reasonably connected to the claim being made. And it's being used, that detail is being used in the service of certifying the validity of the claim. So if you elaborate in those kinds of ways, again, you're pushing the argument into narrower, more specific, more detailed grounds upon which you can be more persuasive. And as soon as when, when you introduce those three components to an argument, when you qualify, emphasize, and elaborate on an argument, when that, that so that shrinks, it carefully shrinks the scope of the argument, it also pivots your audience away from the emotional reactivity that's uh, foregrounded in attempts at hyperbole. It pivots the audience for, away from that and toward the kind of rational center of the brain so that they can start to weigh evidence. What you want ultimately, this is what I talk to my students all the time about, about you want an audience nodding their head in agreement. If they're nodding their head in agreement and kind of like quietly listening to you, it means you've pivoted from the kind of emotional to the rational center, rational center of the brain. And if they're nodding in agreement, they're following along with the depth of details with the evidence. They're following along in the qualification, the elaboration, and the emphasis that you've employed in building an argument. And if they're doing that, they're, you are being persuasive. You are convincing them. Um, but you don't convince any, you, you never convince an audience rationally when you stay at the level of generality required by hyperbole. So, you know, I, I just can't get over it every time I hear all Canadians or all Americans think this. Uh, every one of, uh, of Donald Trump's surrogates is on TV constantly saying all Americans think that. And they're just inviting disagreements and critique. They're, they're not even attempting to be persuasive. They're not even interested in rational persuasion, I don't think. But if they were interested in rational persuasion, they would have to engage in qualification, elaboration, and emphasis in order to narrow the scope of the argument and offer what, what I call a kind of full account of a particular position. So if you can do those things, um, and, and here I want to follow up on what we talked about in the last episode. In the last episode, I was saying assertion is really a push tactic of persuasion. Uh, and assertion isn't always the best method of, of persuasion. So if you combine hyperbole and assertion, so if you make a hyperbolic assertion, I can almost guarantee it won't work. It won't be persuasive. It'll manufacture a kind of thicker, more substantive sense of agreement with a, an audience that already sees the world like you see it. But if you're trying to change people's minds, hyperbole plus assertion is not the way to do it. Assertion plus qualification plus elaboration plus emphasis is or remains a possibility for persuasion because it allows for us to pivot away from the kind of emotional reactivity of hyperbole toward the rational center of the brain. That's one of the effects uh, qualification, elaboration, and emphasis has on, on, on unfolding an argument. So I always love it when I see my students engaged in qualification, elaboration, and emphasis. I know that they are then rational thinking beings. Um, they are working in a way that is much more likely to produce a positive outcome if they're trying to persuade an audience, whether it's a hit me or a history professor or an English professor, of their interpretation of, of X or, or Y. Um, so if we do want to engage in assertion for the purposes of persuasion, we have to 
give up on or avoid hyperbole and instead engage in qualification, elaboration, and emphasis. Um, okay, so in the next episode, what I want to do is talk about how more specifically to qualify, elaborate, and emphasize an, an argument, uh, particularly at the level of a paragraph. So we'll talk about how to construct a persuasive, rational paragraph. Um, and we'll talk through a couple of examples of what a paragraph looks like when it's rationally organized in, in a way to target the kind of reasoning center of the brain and avoid the kind of emotional hyperbole employed by people like like Donald Trump and others. But if you're at work, it, it doesn't have to be political. If you're at work and you're working with someone who's engaged in practices of hyperbole constantly, they're making assertions that are wild, like we'll never ever sell this product if we do X. Um, it's, that's, you should be aware that's hyperbole. It's not persuasive. It's not rationally persuasive. It's more likely to be the kind of pushed assertion practice of persuasion that fails than it succeeds. If you're working with someone who's detailed, who qualifies, emphasizes, and elaborates their argument, the odds are they're able to be rationally persuasive with, uh, with their fellow workers. Um, okay, so that's it for episode 52. Uh, I'll be back next week talking about this uh, a little more. Thanks everyone for listening.